0: and welcome to the Ranking of the Stars, a podcast in which I, Jack DiLobobolic, and my lovely, luscious, late-stage capitalism wife,
1: Hi, I'm Emily DiLobobolic,
0: watch, in chronological order, every single movie that has won the Oscar for Best Picture, and not only watch them, but rank them. I keep leaving that part out.
1: But we get to it at the end of the, of the podcast every time. Oh, yeah, they
0: find out eventually, but yeah. got to tell them up front what they're getting into. <laughs> it's only fair. What is our movie today?
1: Today our movie is Grand Hotel.
0: Not the Grand Hotel, just Grand Hotel? It
1: just says Grand Hotel.
0: <gasps> that means it's two words away from the title of one of my favorite movies, The Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel. Hotel. Yes. Only half the title. <laughs> and only half the movie. <laughs>
1: And this one is from 1932.
0: Columbus sailed the ocean blue. (laughs) (laughs) Poster? Uh, Poster.
1: Let's start with that. What do you think?
0: uh, It's barely a poster.
1: It's very primitive, definitely, for, for a movie poster.
0: It tells you nothing about the actual movie itself. You'd think... With a movie called The Grand Hotel, they might put, you know, a hotel on the poster. But this poster is just the faces of the the big name actors they got. It's just, it's trying to sell this thing completely off of star power.
1: Yeah, just for context, uh, there's a, a navy blue background. We have the names of the actors in big like white font at the top the name of the um the title of the movie in red letters uh going across the poster and then the sort of five main characters um just their faces coming out of stars
0: yep taking up the bottom two-thirds of the poster yes i think this is the worst poster we've seen so far even
1: definitely the the least original
0: even the, the disaster that was the Wings poster, at least, <laughs> you know, had something, had visual elements to it. This is just, yeah. this is just the faces of the actors. This is nothing.
1: And, yeah, and like I said, it tells you absolutely nothing about what this movie is going to be about.
0: Yeah, it just tells you who's in it.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. the people who were in it are.
1: So we have, I'm going to just, there's lots of people, I'm just going to present the, um, like, five uh, main characters. The five heads on the poster. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we have uh, Greta Garbo who plays <laughs> Greta
0: Garbo. <laughs> Greta
1: Garbo who plays uh, Grisinskaya, who's uh, the, a dancer. The
0: Madame. There yes. are a lot of very aggressively European names in this movie. <laughs> uh,
1: John Barrymore plays uh, Baron Felix Von Geiger.
0: And that is Drew Barrymore's grandfather.
1: Yes. We have Joan Crawford who plays uh, Flemchin, who's uh, the stenographer. That's in the a movie. name
0: I've heard before. Flemchin? No, uh, Joan Crawford. So this will be our first movie with someone, uh, uh, an actor we've recognized. Mm, yeah, that is the name. Yep.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, Wallace Berry or Beary, uh plays uh, director Praising. 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 Uh, That
0: messed me up too because it's spelled praising praising, but they pronounce it prizing
1: and then uh, Lionel Barrymore who plays Otto Kringlein and Lionel Barrymore happens to be uh, John Barrymore's brother
0: yeah though they do not look alike at all
1: no I wouldn't I would not have known that they were a brother in real life
0: no I would have guessed cousins
1: some information about the movie let's do it all right it was directed by Edmund Golding, it is based on both a, uh, a novel and, um, and a play. So the novel came first um, in 1929 and it was a novel by Vicki Baum and then the play uh, by William A. Drake was uh, in 1930. So, so it took elements from both the, the novel and the play.
0: So that means Broadway Melody is the only movie we've watched so far that wasn't based on anything else.
1: And Oh, yeah, because Wings had... Was Wings based on something? I don't think so.
0: Wings I don't think in it Broadway? Was,
1: yeah, I don't think Wings was based on a novel. Yeah, anymore.
0: I think you're right. So I have a cold right now, so I got cotton brain.
1: <laughs> I don't even
0: know where I am or what my name is. Give me a break.
1: Uh, the movie was produced by MGM, and it had a couple of premieres. April uh, 12, 1932 was the New York premiere. April 29, 1932 was the Los Angeles premiere. And then the movie was released throughout the country on September eleventh, 1932. Uh, the running time is 112 minutes. It had a budget of $750,000.
0: That's... That's the the cheapest one we've watched so far, right?
1: I believe so. Yeah. Which
0: isn't surprising since the entire movie takes place in one location. Yes, so.
1: there's it's just the the hotel, so yep. nothing outside. And then it made uh a little over two million five hundred ninety four thousand uh, dollars at the box office.
2: Damn.
1: Yeah, it was pretty good. pretty uh well received apparently at the at the time. Uh, Some fun facts about the movie before we move on to the plot. Apparently there was huge controversy uh, about Greta Garbo because she plays a Russian dancer but in real life has a strong Swedish accent. How dare she? (laughs) How dare she impersonize a Russian dancer? How
0: dare a person whose job (laughs) it is to pretend that there are other people pretend to be another person?
1: tried to find more information about this is she still alive do we still
0: have time to cancel her
1: (laughs) i tried to find more information about this uh, this controversy but there isn't anything very specific online apart from yeah she had a a, a very uh strong swedish accent we
0: need to dig her up and give her a social media account just so we can kick (laughs) her off
1: uh, as we said before another fun fact uh, Lionel and John Barrymore star together in this movie. It is the first movie that they starred in together and then they did another one later that year entitled Rasputin and the Empress.
0: Oh uh, which one was Rasputin and which one was the Empress? <laughs> I don't
1: know. <laughs> um there was also talk at MGM to do a musical version Of the movie, but it was, the project was very quickly abandoned.
0: Yeah, that seems unnecessary. Yes. It would just be a gimmick because sound was such a new thing. Yeah. Put put music in all of them. We got the technology, we have to use it.
1: And uh, apparently, to this day, the movie still has an 88% uh, approval rate on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Which, I wrote this in my note. Is way higher than it deserves, according to me, but yeah, we'll, I, may, we'll we'll get to it. This
0: is going to be an interesting episode because it's the first time we've ever disagreed.
1: Yeah, no, this is the, the first time we have, like, widely different opinions about the, about the quality of this movie. We'll get to it.
0: Time for the plot?
1: Time for the plot.
0: All right. Uh, we open with a top-down shot of a bunch of switchboard operators directing calls in the hotel.
1: Which I thought was really neat, on to yeah. see, uh, A, the how it was shot to be like just over their heads, but also just how, I know it's just for the movie and they're not really connecting anything to, uh, you know, people to anything, but it's just the way, how fast they were answering yep. the phone, connecting the line to a different service, yep. it was really neat.
0: Who you want? Alright, over here. Now, next person. What do you want? Huh? What? Yep, camera pans over them. They're all every time they show switchboard operators in movies and tv they're always working super fast yeah like they have more calls coming in than they can possibly (laughs) deal with and then we cut from the switchboard operators to a phone booth in the hotel where the calls are being placed uh, by the cast first is the head porter who's calling the hospital to check on his wife who's in labor Uh, After that, we see Otto Kringlein, who needs to talk quickly because every minute costs two Marks 90, he says. (laughs) Uh, He informs the person he's talking to that his doctor has told him he's terminally ill and doesn't have long to live. And he intends to spend the remainder of his life living it up in the Grand Hotel, the most expensive hotel in Berlin. Uh, Because all the best people stay here, even the big boss, Prizing stays there. And Kringlein plans to tell him exactly what he thinks of him someday. Mm. The next call we see is Prizing himself talking business. If the merger doesn't go through, he says, we are in very bad shape. Uh, It all depends upon news from Manchester. Uh, The fourth call is Madame uh, Grusinskaya.
1: Grusinskaya. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think this is the only time I call her by her name in the synopsis. From here on out, I just refer to her as uh, the Madame.
1: So, third call. Yep.
0: Uh, It is Madame's maid, Suzette, who is Mm -hmm. informing the person on the other end that the Madame will not be dancing tonight, and she does not require her car. Uh, There is something preying on her mind, and she needs to sleep. The last call is Baron von Geigen, who's asking for money so he can continue to stay in the hotel. Uh, He cryptically states that he knows where her room is and that he has made friends with her ballet master. Uh, We revisit each call in rapid succession after we see the Baron, and then the camera cuts to a distinguished elderly gentleman holding a cigarette in his fingers and reflecting on his surroundings. Grand hotel, he says. People coming, people going. Nothing ever happens. Fade to black. I like this opening a lot because...
1: I like the fast pace of it.
0: Yes, it's very fast paced and just cuts very quickly from person to person and also it highlights uh, one of the great strengths of this movie which is their attention to detail in the characters because each character Mm -hmm. you can already start to get a feel for their personality just by seeing them in that phone booth because of the different ways they talk and the different ways they're standing like Kringleine is uh, like slumped over the, the desk and the phone booth and he's just very harried and, you know, not very assertive, a little, a uh, little whiny. And then.
1: not little whiny, but a uh, very, like he, you can sense the, uh, we can feel his sense of urgency like he's talking very fast.
0: Yes, he, he feels like he's like on the urge of a breakdown right and then prizing, uh, it cuts to him and he's standing like very stiff and erect mm-hmm. and he's very uh, assertive in the way he talks.
1: And he also uh, to me uh, when we see him, he takes most of the screen. I feel like he's uh, he's very much at the center yes and he's meant to be just really the the protagonist in the in this frame.
0: Uh, Prizing? Yeah. Yeah, Prizing is a very large man.
1: Yeah.
0: He's very uh, large and and domineering and, like, fingers the size of sausages and contrasted to Kringleine who's very... He's almost a man who's, like, folded in on himself. Right. He's always, like, slumped over in bad posture and then the Baron who's just very still and sure of himself and the the maid Suzette who's very frantic. Mm -hmm. You just... This movie's really good at characterization. And very good at...
1: That is one thing I can concede.
0: Yeah. And it, it immediately showing you the the thought that went into them. It's like how Kurosawa, uh, in the making of the movie Seven Samurai, he had he had put so much detail into the different samurai's personalities that he had even uh, figured out the different ways that they like tied their shoes. Mm-hmm which I I don't think this movie goes into that level of depth, but you get the idea. Fade back in, and we see the lobby of the Grand Hotel in full swing like a stirred-up ant pile. People come and go, and every second a new demand or request is being made of the perpetually harassed staff. It's a big, open, airy lobby with a, a central circular desk.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the floor is like a checkerboard pattern, but it's not straight like a checkerboard it kind of radiates out from the circle so the squares are curved a little bit yes and then all the rooms it's like the front desk is at the bottom of a well because all the rooms are just uh, in a circle above the front desk going up like a tower
1: yeah do you remember there's a um a song music playing in the background
0: it's very common and recognizable. I don't know the name of it.
1: It's the Blue Danube.
0: The Blue Danube, yep. Yeah.
1: That's a, uh, like probably one of the most famous uh, waltzes in the world.
0: Yep. Uh, Suzette is there uh, telling the front desk that Madame will not need her car uh, as the Baron walks by with his wiener dog, mm-hmm. which he hands to a bellboy with instructions to take him on a walk. He, uh... Berates the bellboy a little bit because he didn't take him on a walk this morning. My dog is upset with you. <laughs> and... he,
1: like, uh, he berates him, but still in a... I would still say in a respectful yes. manner. Like, and... he's not mad or upset. He's just... Hey, you, like, you really need to take the, my dog on, on a walk. Yeah,
0: he's not belittling or berating or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, he still
1: has manners.
0: Like, I asked you to take my dog on a walk, man. Come on. And he hands him off. The Baron uh, then greets the ballet master, who informs him that last night's performance didn't go so well, while a few feet away, a uh, prizing confers with a business partner. Still no news from Manchester. That's bad. Very bad. Uh, the elderly gentleman, a doctor, uh, the guy who said uh, the Grand Hotel, people coming, going, nothing ever happens, mm-hmm. uh, asks the front desk if he has any messages. He does not. Uh, the Baron sees this and whispers, "He always seems to be waiting for something that never happens." I like I like the doctor character because he has no part in the plot to play. Mm-hmm. He's always just this, this like looming specter in the background who just kind of drifts around and, like, comments on stuff, yeah. but he's never really part of anything.
1: He feel yeah, he sees everyone as very much a, uh, an observer. Yes. In the, in the whole, uh, throughout the whole movie. But, yeah, no, we never, uh, we get bits and pieces of comments.
0: And he's got, uh, he's got a scar on his face mm-hmm. that covers it, which we find out later is a, a wound from the war. Yes. Yeah. This is very, like, Sandor Clegan kind of scar. Yeah. Half of his face is burned, a little two-face-ish.
1: Yeah, he looks, uh, it looks like a, a huge, I didn't think that it was a burn mark at no, first. it does It, it looks like a, a huge, like, birthmark.
0: Yeah, because it's a, a deep, uh, like, red color. Yeah. Words, it's a black and white movie, so we don't know what exact color it is. But, it, yeah, it doesn't look like burn skin. It just looks like discoloration. But, I like that guy he He doesn't have any horse in any of the races like he's never he's never involved or committed to anything that's going on. He's just there to observe and commentate on things yeah. he's He's almost like the ghost of the hotel, <laughs> which is. Uh, what that that baron's line about uh he always seems to be waiting for something
1: but it never it happens.
0: never happens and it's a recurring thing about the movie where he's always asking if there are any messages for him and there's never any message so he's just like he's just like some ghost with some unfinished business
1: and then the line that he has like right at the beginning here are people coming going nothing ever happens yes. is repeated at the end yeah
0: too. like it's like he's always there
1: yeah always there
0: the spirit of the hotel
1: yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, meanwhile, Kringlein is whining like a child about his cheap room. He's, like, almost, he's on the verge of, like, stamping his foot.
1: Yeah, he's extremely upset because his room is too small.
0: It's too cheap.
1: It's too cheap. And
0: he he says things like, well, you wouldn't give Mr. Prizing a room next to to leaky and banging pipes, would you? I'm, I'm not any less important than him, am I? The doctor overhears this and offers his room, uh... But it's unnecessary, because Kringlein is given room 176, one of the most expensive rooms in the hotel. Uh, He drops his hat while he's whining, and the Baron picks it up and introduces himself, as well as the doctor. Uh, As the Baron walks away from the desk, a tough-looking chauffeur asks him if he has a minute. The Baron responds that he thought he told the man not to come into the lobby. Uh, I want to speak, says the chauffeur. Later, says the Baron. Uh, A young woman then approaches the desk and asks for Mr. Pricing. She's told he's in room 166 and she thanks the desk and runs to the elevator." Mm. I really like this scene too because it uh, it highlights another uh, cool thing this movie does a lot where the camera will just like pass from one person Mm -hmm. to the next, like it's just being handed off because everything is happening in such close proximity. Mm. Like all these conversations are happening within like a five-foot space of one another. So the camera will just, you know, go to one person and, and they'll say a few lines and then it'll just shift over a few feet and focus on one of the other characters and they'll say a few lines. It's all happening.
1: And I was reading in the, you know, in doing some research about the, the movie and uh, its reception, uh, I was reading that this is one of the things that was actually really praised about the, the movie. The, the fact that we're in, uh, it's one of the, the first movies that has uh the ability uh, like that to have a like a 360 angle and to just turn just turn on itself so that the camera could uh, turn around and just see everything that was happening and it just really we we move from character to character uh in a very smooth way yes
0: it's very 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 smooth it's like they're just like passing the camera off like as it'll be focused on one conversation and then then like the Baron will walk by in the background and then the camera will just follow him as yeah. he
1: walks by. Which is one aspect that I, I can enjoy and like about the movie is that it really it's really good at being sort of authentic about what a hotel looks like and yes. showing you what giving you the perspective because when you're here and you're seeing all the all the, the people moving through a lobby you're seeing you're seeing them from the perspective of like a hotel crew of the people who are serving them yep. and it's just really good at, at showing what people look like from a hotel crew's perspective and seeing what hotel life looks like
0: yeah the hotel is it's a crossroads yeah. it's very much treated that way in this movie I like it a lot just a, a place where people come and go and their lives intersect and you get that feeling from the characters that they all have long uh, interesting histories before they showed up at this hotel mm-hmm. but this is just the point where all their stories intersect
1: yeah they all have their their own uh, backgrounds, their own stories but they, they can all come together in, in a place that's Uh, meant for people to come together even though they they don't know each other.
0: Yeah, and it's not not even that this is the most interesting part of their lives. It's just that this is all where their lives intersected with each other. This crossroads. I like it a lot. Uh... Alright, the woman uh, thanks the desk and runs into the elevator. Uh, she exits the elevator along with Kringleine and the Baron, who have rooms on the same floor and enter Pricing's room, where he's doing some weirdo pervert stretching exercises while wearing not one, but two bath towels.
1: I thought that he had maybe one of the towels first on his shoulders, and when he gets up from his exercise, like he's bending over to, I guess, like touch the ground with his, uh, with his hands. And then he's coming back up, and then the towel falls from his shoulders. I the th- first towel falls from his shoulders. I
0: think it was around his waist the whole time. This guy wearing two bath towels, I do not trust him. <laughs> and yeah, he's just doing this weird exercise as he's gotten out of the bath where he's bending down, touching his toes, and then coming back up and hands above head, like, praising praising the sky. He's <laughs> just doing it over and over it's like a seesaw. She tells him she's his new stenographer, and Prizing tells her to wait outside so he can be a weirdo in private. And this is, he has a very, is he supposed to be Russian or something? Because he, he talks in, uh, not broken English, but, you know, he structures sentences the way that non-native speakers do, where he's like, uh, you'll be waiting outside, please?
1: Yeah. He His accent sounded German to me. Yeah. But that, right, I could be wrong. Yeah,
0: the thing non-native speakers do when they, when they end sentences with please. Yeah. You will be the doing of this, please? Mm. Yeah.
1: Hey, what do you have against non-native speakers? I have nothing against them. <laughs> not, a,
0: not a knock at all, just...
1: I'm kidding.
0: Put the knife down. Outside on the balcony, the Baron suggests that Kringlein get some new clothes so he can feel like he's getting a fresh start. Uh, Kringlein thinks it's good advice... Uh, and asks the baron if he can speak to him any time, uh, even when the baron is with his smart friends. "'I haven't got any friends,' is the baron's reply. "'You got me,' says uh, Some time later, the baron approaches the stenographer, who's leaning on the edge of the balcony while she waits for prizing to be done with his pervert stuff, uh, and tells her he wonders what would happen to the porter if someone jumped on him from the balcony. Mm. Uh,
2: "'Why
0: don't you try it and find out,' she says." The baron walks away <laughs> uh, but then he stops and comes back asking if she'd like to dance not with strangers is the curt reply
1: i love this interaction this like, a... it, i'm gonna let you finish that on their interaction but i just want to say already i love this interaction between the two because she is so witty and i love it yep
0: Asked if she liked to dance uh not with strangers is the curt reply never never uh the baron walks away again uh, but then returns to say that she must be waiting on an awfully nice fellow. Uh, she tells him she's prizing stenographer, and the Baron asks if she'd like to take some dictation from him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Gross. Uh, she gives him a withering look, uh, but after a little more banter, agrees to meet him tomorrow at five, in the funny yellow room for some dancing. Yeah, this this banter was great. Because she's just so quick with the response. You're like, I wonder what happened. You should try it. He goes, I, well, thanks for that. And he just walks away, and she, you're very welcome, sir.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's uh, just. She seems very. uh She thinks very quickly on her feet. Um, she's witty and responsive without being. You know, sometimes you get if somebody's hitting on you and and uh, you don't want it, it can maybe tend to. You be you can be tempted to uh, to be a lot a, a little offensive, yeah. Um, but she's not. She's just she remains within like the boundaries of just she's, witty.
0: She's very curt. Yeah. 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 This this whole exchange it was like watching a well choreographed dance between two witty people yes. because he he gets rejected then he walks away and then he comes back and has another line and she just rejects him again and he walks away but then he comes back. Like, he always gets the same amount of distance away, too, before he, like, turns on his heel and comes Mm -hmm. back because he, like, thinks up another thing to say. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, this, this movie has style and I think has the best writing so far that we've seen in any movie is what I like about it.
1: It has some scenes. It has some redeeming scenes. I'll agree to disagree with you about the writing and the whole quality of this movie, but it does have some redeeming qualities in some scenes.
0: It feels like they're developing narrative and cinematography techniques in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, they're getting more sophisticated in their storytelling. Yeah, they...
1: and definitely in the, in the, uh, there's more sophistication in the camera movements. Yep.
0: And the quality of the, the writing and the banter. Uh, maybe not in the overall plot, but definitely in the exchanges between people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kringeline then approaches the two and invites them to his room for champagne and caviar Uh, the stenographer declines saying uh, caviar tastes bad and Kringeline says maybe she'd like to see his bathroom instead then it's very fancy and has hot and cold water all day every day Uh, the baron and the stenographer both laugh at how awkward and oblivious Kringeline is yeah
1: they (laughs) it was a weird exchange
0: well, he's yes Kringlein is weird and awkward but the movie knows that so he says that line and the the stenographer and the Baron exchange a look like I can't believe he just said that <laughs> yeah did he really just invite us to look at his bathroom because it's fancy yeah Kringlein he's very he's naive but he's also well meaning
1: yeah he's very innocent but uh the kind of he's
0: kind of dopey yes yeah yeah but you know, endearing because you know he's pure hearted. Exactly, and, and,
1: endearing is the word I was looking for.
0: He's he's like a sad puppy. <laughs> you can't help but love him. Uh, the merriment is interrupted when Pricing comes out of his room, snaps his fingers, and says, "Stenographer, yeah, this is a, that is part of his character. He's he just orders people around, and it, it, you know he's a big uh, business, important businessman. So he." he doesn't ask for things he just gives orders and is very curt and rude to everyone like snapping your fingers to gross yuck
1: he's you know he's a boss so he's used to getting what he wants
0: yep uh the baron reminds her of their date tomorrow and gives her a pat on the butt and uh, Kringleine stares daggers at pricing's door Uh, the baron asks if he knows pricing and Kringleine tells him he's slaved away in his factory for years Uh, They walk and talk a bit more, and Suzette comes out of one of the doors they pass by and admonishes them for being too loud. The madame is sleeping. Uh, The men apologize, and the camera follows Suzette as she goes back into the room. Uh, She awakens the madame and tells her it's time to dance, even though she's been on the phone telling the theater that she's not dancing and also been Mm -hmm. down at the front desk telling them the car's not coming. Uh, Now she's trying to get her to go anyway. Uh, But madame is having none of it. Uh, last night the theater was half empty and there was no applause how can she work in such conditions her manager tells her uh, the place is packed tonight so she relents and goes with him on the way out Suzette brings uh, the pearl necklace that uh, the madame has in her room but madame tells her to put it back in the room and they leave the hotel her her bed the bed the dancer is sleeping in the entire thing is like made of satin and silk because she's she's we find this out later but she's a, a world famous dancer so she's a a very big deal and her room is very plush and and fancy
1: yeah she's just touring the world
0: yep her her sheets sheets are satin her comforter is satin her like bathrobe is satin this looks mm-hmm. like the most slippery bed in the world <laughs> and she's very uh, dramatic and oh i can't you know the, there was no applause. How can I do this? And the manager tells her that the place is packed tonight. But, at night. but yeah. then we f- find out very quickly that he's lying about that and just trying to get her to stop being so dramatic and fulfill her contract.
1: Why? Well, yeah, there's money, you know, behind her show, and she needs to she needs to come and fulfill her uh, what she signed up for.
0: Uh, but how can she throw these pearls before swine?
1: I feel sad. I I felt sad for her uh, just in that scene because. Um, I can understand that it might be disheartening to, you know, want to share your craft with people and then you're sharing it, you're sharing your your passion and your craft and, and all that and then people are not appreciating it. And just the fact that they're tricking her also into leaving the hotel and she's going to... And that happens. I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but um, that happens a couple more times in the in the movie where she's being tricked. Yes, people are lying to her. They she just want her to do what they want her to do. She is
0: emotionally fragile, and the solution to that is to just lie to her. Yes, which that's just kicking the can down the road. Yes,
1: because she's going to re- she's going to get there in this scene. She's going to get to a hotel, to the uh, to the theater, and realize that. It is not packed at all, yeah. and it's going to be even more disheartening and heartbreaking.
0: Yep. They only know to, how to uh, stall the problem. They don't know how to solve it.
1: Yeah.
0: I can sympathize a little bit, but also any true professional knows that regardless of circumstances, the show must go on, right? If you're an artist, you will play to an empty theater. <laughs> my my sympathy only extends so far. <laughs> Uh, next scene opens with the Baron laying on the floor and giving his wiener dog a talking to about having self-control around lady dogs. <laughs> you remember the dog's name?
1: Um, I... hold on. Adolphus. Adolphus.
0: Yep, you got it. He says it uh, twice in the movie, I think. Yeah. And he also tells uh, Adolphus that Adolphus is the only uh, person in the world that the Baron really loves. Aww. Yep. This really endeared me to the Baron that he's got this wiener dog, and (laughs) the wiener dog's his friend. The tough-looking chauffeur then enters the room and tells the Baron he's too late, the dancer has left the hotel. Uh, The Baron says it's fine, the pearls are still in her room, and he'll get them tonight. Uh, The chauffeur tells the Baron he's too much of a gentleman, and that he's no good for this business. They glare at each other, and the Baron tells him to be ready to leave on the night train to Amsterdam, and get out he does this little he does it multiple times throughout the movie where the Baron's trying to like get people to go away where he just does this little shooing motion with his mm-hmm. hand he's very dismissive of people he, multiple stare downs and he always just eh, shoo get away <laughs> Uh, meanwhile the stenographer is in Prizing's room ignoring his attempts to flirt while he dictates a letter like the camera will just like cut to her legs because Prizing's staring at her Mm -hmm. and there's multiple times where he gets stuck on a word and just keeps repeating it because he's lost his train of thought because he's just oogling her and then she'll like remind him of what word he left on so they can keep going because he's trying to find out more about her but she's just trying to dictate the business speech she's just having none of it it's great
1: Another very
0: witty scene. Yes. Uh, they're interrupted by a knock at the door, and Prising is given a telegram that he stares at in horror. Horror. The deal with Manchester is off. Ah, shit, man. Uh, the stenographer is dismissed for the night, and as Prising worries over the letter, uh, we see a man pass by outside his window. A little shadow moving by. Mm. That man is the Baron, who's creeping along uh, narrow ledges and climbing from one balcony to the next in order to reach the madame's room. This is a a cool shot. It's one of the very few shots we ever get of the exterior of the hotel because he's on very, like, ledges that aren't even as wide as his feet, and he's, you know, smushed up against the wall, inching along, and you get a camera shot just staring down so you can see the street below him and how he's wedged up against the wall.
1: I wonder if this was actually shot, like, vertically. If he if he was doing the scene, like, vertically, or if they were doing, like, horizontally. Where he's just and, laying down. Yeah, where he's just laying down. Because...
0: I've definitely heard of old-timey movies like this where they've actually had people, like, hanging off of buildings and stuff.
1: That, so, that would be impressive. It
0: could very well be that, yeah, he's actually doing that. And the Baron... The Baron, before I forget... The Baron looks like Adrian Brody to me. (laughs) Or at least Adrian Brody as he was in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Very uh, skinny, uh, pencil mustache.
1: I can see that. Okay, yes. Adrian Brody specifically in the Grand Budapest Hotel. He's a,
0: yeah, very different in character from Adrian Brody in the Grand Budapest Hotel because in that movie he's... uh, like shitty awful rich person and the baron is a, a, a charming gentleman
1: charming gentleman but also a hotel thief hotel thief <laughs>
0: yeah but his, his facade is that of a charming gentleman yes and also before we move on I should mention that uh, smoking in this movie is borderline an Olympic sport because mm-hmm. almost every single scene in this movie Everyone is smoking constantly, like that witty exchange between the stenographer and the Baron. They were both smoking that whole yeah. time. Yeah. Everyone is smoking forever and for always in this movie. The Baron makes it without too much trouble, and he quickly finds the pearls in the room. He can't go out the way he came in, though, because uh, Prizing is now smoking on his balcony, and he had to pass through Prising's balcony yeah. to get there, so now he can't go back that way. Uh, He goes to leave through the front door of the room, but uh, right as he's about to open the door, he hears voices outside. Uh, It's housekeeping, showing up at the worst possible time, as always. The Baron hides in the closet and watches as the hole he's in gets deeper as Suzette and uh, the Madame's manager come in as well, looking for Madame. Madame herself then shows up, uh, leaning dramatically against the door and telling everyone she just wants to be alone. Yeah, she is our, she's come back from the theater without performing. She's in her ballet outfit, though. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the Baron picked the worst possible time because he gets the pearls and then goes to leave, and then just people just start flooding into the room, <laughs> just one after the other. She wants to be alone. The manager tells her she'll get her wish because after this stunt, her career is over. Everyone leaves, and Madame sits down and removes her ballet slippers. This is a, a cool shot where it's just... She's sitting down on the floor of her room and it's just, it almost looks like she's just sitting in the void because there's, it's so close up on her that there's no other detail. You can't even really see the carpet. She's just like in blackness. Uh, She then calls the theater to see how things are going without her and gets even more depressed when she hears that things are going fine. They didn't even miss me. It's finished. Finished.
1: Yeah, she asks who's dancing yeah we don't really know but it, yeah it looks like
0: shit. yeah they give a name and they're doing fine and uh, oh it's terrible it's you didn't want to go there and you were sad and then now you're back but you're sad that somebody's doing it else but there wasn't enough of an audience for you like uh, my, my sympathy grows smaller and smaller <laughs> with it's like what 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 do you want uh what will madame do now grow orchids raise white peacocks no, Madame will die. <laughs> she's very melodramatic.
1: Yeah. she repeats the "I want to be alone" multiple times, mm-hmm. and in uh, a matter of maybe like the next ten minutes of the movie.
0: Before she can even start to enact her plan to die, though, because she's actually she's like taking out some sort of like sleeping pills or something mm-hmm. out of cabinet. But before she can enact her plan, uh, the Baron reveals himself and tells her to stop. Uh, he was hiding in her room. He tells her. Uh, which she often does, just to breathe the air that she breathes. Yikes, Baron, yikes. Uh, She goes for the phone, uh, but the Baron tells her how it tears his heart to see her so upset, and that she has so much to live for, and she decides not to have him arrested just yet. Uh, They sit down, and the Baron showers her with compliments about her beauty and charm. Yes, yes, the Baron can stay. This was... Man, to have just a, a a weird, weird, random man you've never met before show up in your room when you're a famous person, mm. and then actually be charmed by him, and allow him to stay—like we as the audience know that the Baron's not a bad guy—but this still made me feel uncomfortable with how just dangerous the situation feels.
1: Well, he's not very aggressive. He's, no, he, but he's. he's yeah, the fact that there's a stranger in her bedroom and in her hotel. Openly
0: obsession. admitting, oh, I just want to breathe the same air She's like, Ugh. Yeah,
1: she does. I in doing research also about the the movie. She uh, at first when uh, she asks him to leave, there's a little bit of back and forth between them, and then she says instead of uh, "I want to be alone," she says. Uh I never said I want to be alone. I only said I want to be let alone. There is all the difference, huh.
0: What do you think the difference is?
1: But she doesn't want necessarily to be physically alone. She might just want to be uh allowed to have to not have to answer to anyone to not have to be to engage in conversation or in other activities and what she wants to do she doesn't
0: want to be harassed
1: yeah she cause... doesn't want to be har- there's a lot of people uh, uh, around her there's uh, her her who said there's the manager there's a lot of people gravitating around her and you know telling her what to do and where to be and that's their schedule for her yeah, and they, not her own time they
0: don't actually care about her they just care about uh, her career and
1: they care about the performance and, and fulfilling what she's the contract to, and yeah what know. she's going to offer to the audience yep not necessarily caring about her as a person
0: she's alone even in the middle of a crowd yeah they're all just a, a pack of vultures that want something from her
1: that's a so yeah that's the difference the difference between having being physically alone or just
0: emotionally alone
1: emotionally alone
0: Cut to Kringleline, uh, clearly intoxicated, uh, being led to his room by the doctor. He stumbles around in his room for a few minutes and then falls into bed. This scene is pointless. Like it's it's just a, a couple minutes of him bumbling around his room because he's drunk. He looks in the mirror and goes, "You're a drunk, Kringleine, and then falls into bed. I don't.
1: I took that as you know, as a contrast to the the first scene where we see him telling people the the person on the phone that. He only has uh, so much time to, to live, and I I took that scene as like a, a reminder that he's here to uh, have a good time, and that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah,
0: he's falling apart at the seams. Yeah. We then get the same shot of the switchboard operators we got in the opening, and we hear snippets of their conversations that pertain to the characters in the plot. Uh, chauffeur calling for Baron von Geigen. No messages for the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Madame is not to be disturbed. Uh, we then join prizing in the middle of a business conference, and it's not going well. They get into this weird argument about who approached who first.
1: Yeah, there are people, I guess, from Manchester at this point who are with him? Or, they're
0: not yeah. from Manchester because... Uh, they say something about how if the deal with Manchester did go through, they'd be more willing to do business with him. So mm-hmm. they are not from Manchester. Okay, which I did not pick up on until I was rewatching. I uh, yeah, I
1: already thought that the, that they were. Their accent speaking in English was sounded different to me, so I already thought that they were coming from Manchester.
0: Yeah, they're just they're yelling at each other about this who approached who first, and it's it's a weird power struggle. They're both like trying to achieve achieve dominance over the other and it's they're just yelling at each other and it's just going in circles and just going nowhere uh the people he's talking to want to know about manchester but prizing would w- rather talk about mop rags that's the most indication we ever get for the nature of whatever business prizing is in because like they use it as a, a an insult when i'm like oh you just sell mop rags uh, as things get heated the stenographer is on the phone whispering about her date with the Baron later with a smile on her face she's This is another moment where, you know, things are happening in very close proximity to each other Mm because she's in the same room as the business meeting, but she's just in the background and then the camera just smoothly shifts from prizing to her, close up of her. And she's, I don't even know if she's actually talking to someone or if she's just pretending to talk to someone because she's like, I have a date with the Baron, Mm. like that kind of thing. Just getting excited and happy about it. The businessmen continue to yell at each other and we get our first ever diagonal swipe cut, which brings us back to the Madame and Baron. Did you catch this? It's a tr- transition where uh, it just, yeah, it goes diagonally from one quarter of the screen to the other and it just mm-hmm. goes down. And we just haven't had a, a transition like that in any of the movies. We've watched so far. and it goes back to what I was saying about how it feels like we're fighting, finally starting to see some innovation in regard to, you know, movie making techniques. Mm hmm. Finally starting to see uh, new stuff like that creep in. I like it. The Madame and the Baron have been up all night talking, and the Madame is currently reminiscing about her days in ballet school. I was slim and hard as a diamond, she says, and they drilled us like little soldiers. She wants to know more about the Baron, though. Who is he really? What does he do? Yeah, what does he do? Who are you, really? The Baron replies... I'm a prodigal son, the black sheep of a white flock, I shall die on the gallows.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was also very dramatic.
0: Yes. He's being, yeah, he's being intentionally over dramatic though, whereas uh, she's very sincere in her drama. Whereas the the baron I feel like he knows how theatrical he's being and he's doing it on purpose
1: thought that it was meant to like match her to match her how dramatic she is I understand uh, what you're saying about her being more sincere in her drama but I thought in this in this instance in this uh, scene that he was like matching sort of her intensity and her uh, her uh, personality and the way she talks to be maybe more attractive to her
0: Yes, with the Baron it seemed like a an intentional affectation, yeah. whereas with her, she might not even be aware that she's doing it. Yes. I shall die on the gallows. I haven't a bit of character. When I was a little boy, I was taught to ride and be a gentleman, then in school to pray and lie, then in the war to kill and hide. Now I'm a gambler, running at large like a happy pig, devouring everything of life that pleases me. <laughs> I really belong in jail. <laughs> I like the Baron a lot. He might be my favorite character in all the movies we watched so far because he's just—he's charming. God damn it!
1: <laughs> he's charming, and also like you get the feeling that even you know he's a hotel thief and he's uh, somebody who's you that uh, somebody who's going to deceive other characters, but he still feels very authentic and truthful when he speaks. Yes,
0: there is a sadness. Yeah. In the Baron, that he's he doesn't try particularly hard to hide, yeah. like when he tells Kringleon, "Like I don't have any friends." Like he's just being very honest. Yeah. The Madame laughs, and the Baron sees that she's not taking what he said seriously. Uh, he gets up because they're like sitting down on a little uh, almost like
1: a little couch, little
0: couch, yeah, facing each other, yes. where their their legs like overlapped. But mm-hmm. They they both have a. Uh, like seat back to lean yeah. back against just looking at each other face to face uh, he gets up and moves away from her uh, and tells her that he's a thief revealing the pearl necklace that he stole uh, he tells her that he desperately needed money and has been following her for a while but in the process came to admire her don't you understand don't you she gives him a spooch she understands. Not at first, though. At first she's upset after he reveals that he has a necklace, and Mm -hmm. uh, she immediately turns cold and is like, oh, well, you should leave then if this is all you're after. But then he pleads with her and tells, you know, that he's had a change of heart, and then she sees that uh, he's genuine about that, and she comes around.
1: Do you think that he's genuine about that? Yes. About the change
0: of heart? I, I do not get the feeling that Baron, uh, is proud of what he's doing in order mm. to get the money he needs it's like like the chauffeur said he's too much of a gentleman yeah. he's he's doing this out of desperation not because he wants to
1: i can see maybe he recognizes in their conversation or at least the what we see in their conversation that he recognizes her situation her sorrow and how even though she has even though she has money and everything that you know anybody could want, there's still there's a, a deep void and in, in her that she's um, yeah I th- that cannot that just cannot be filled at the moment. I
0: think they're two uh, very lonely people. Yeah, they're both putting up a facade mm-hmm. for others, and so they under they recognize that in each other, and it's mm-hmm. what attracted them to each other. Yeah. Uh, The phone then rings, uh, summoning Madame to her rehearsals. Uh, She tells the Baron she has to go, but that their train leaves in the morning for uh, Vienna. Our train, says the Baron? Our train, says Madame. The Baron would give his soul to go, he says, but he can't. He still owes money. Uh, Madame offers to cover his expenses, but the Baron says that that would ruin things between them. Uh, He'll try and find another way. Uh, he promises to be on the train and leaves with a smooch the baron leaves and suzette and the manager enter while madame sings and twirls and carries on about how beautiful life is it's complete reversal of her attitude like this whole movie she just swings from one extreme to the other she's either down in the doldrums of depression or like literally bouncing off the walls and like i have a, an, an idea for a new ballet there will be singing and dancing and oh isn't life wonderful
1: and then a, couple, a couple of scenes later she just like calls him and uh, calls him to his hotel room and uh tells him is that you she calls him chérie which mm. is like honey yep. yeah for in french and she she says, i was just calling you to tell you but I'm happy.
0: Yep. She she immediately develops a very schoolgirl crush on the Baron. And yeah, does things like calm. Like, oh, I just wanted to hear your voice. Yeah. yeah. Puppy love immediately fall, falls hard and fast for the Baron. Next scene, uh, some time has passed and we find ourselves in the funny yellow room where people are dancing. Kringlein and the doctor sit at the bar and Kringlein orders a Louisiana flip. While-
1: uh-huh. Which... I looked it up and it is a real uh, cocktail. It is made with two uh, ounces of white rum, half an ounce of Cointreau, which is uh, an orange flavored triple sec made in France, um, half an ounce of orange juice, and two bar spoons of grenadine.
0: Orange juice. Ugh. I'm not a big fan of alcohol to begin with, but alcohol mixed with orange juice, this just sounds like a nightmare.
1: I would Ugh. actually think that I... Almost like...
0: as bad as mixing orange juice with toothpaste.
1: <laughs> I think I would try this one because the both the orange juice and the liquor in here have the same flavor. They're not mixing. We're not mixing flavors, so I think they would actually taste good.
0: Kringleine seems to like it.
1: He's ordering multiple of them. So. Yeah, he tries
0: to get a bunch of other people to, to drink them too. <laughs> While the doctor talks about the ephemeral nature of the hotel experience, he's he's being a, a, a ghost again and just talking like, you're here for just a, a short time and then you leave and someone else sleeps in your bed and it's mm-hmm. like you weren't even there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's just waxing philosophic and, you know, being a haunting specter while well, no one ever like responds to these things he says so he's just screaming into the void but
1: also like how did it, do you respond to this like i feel like he's in many ways just very much speaking the truth and speaking the sad truth of the situation it's like yeah you're you come and go in a hotel you're not meant to to be there forever yeah so.
0: he's lamenting it and i don't think anyone ever responds when he no. starts doing that they're all too caught up in their own problems uh, then we go back to Prising's room where negotiations continue to fail uh, the men he's talking to are preparing to leave when in a fit of desperation Prising lies and tells them that he's received word that the deal from manchester was accepted the men agree to whatever the deal was after they hear this and as soon as they leave uh, Prising reveals to his partner uh, that they're in deep shit because there was one other like business guy mm-hmm. there with him trying to help in negotiations. And it's so obvious that he's lying cuz he waits till they're walking out the door to do this and go it's it, it's such a a desperation tactic. He's like, "Wait, wait. Uh would things be different if if you heard that Manchester had accepted and they yeah. it would?" And he goes, "Well, in that case Manchester has accepted." It's it's so obvious.
1: It's obvious, that it, it's obvious that they're just going along, too. Well,
0: they fall for it. Prising asks where the stenographer is, and his business partner tells him that she left in a hurry for the yellow room for uh, some engagement at 5 o'clock. Let's go find her and get a drink, says Prizing. Uh, he also asks his business partner if he finds the stenographer attractive, despite the fact that we uh, have already learned at this point that Prising has been married for over 20 years. Yes. Uh, not going to stop him, though. Uh, back in the yellow room, the stenographer greets Kringlein and asks where the Baron is. Uh, Kringlein replies that he's also waiting for the Baron, and that they spent the whole day together and rode in a motor car and an aeroplane. Which, I thought the Baron was supposed to be... Trying, broke? Broke, and also trying to find money so he can run away with Madame. Why is he spending all day just bro out with Kringlein and riding on airplanes and stuff? Whatever.
1: Well... Kringlein, uh, at the beginning of the movie, says that uh, he took all of his savings out.
0: Yes, he does have a lot of money.
1: So, we don't know how much money, but he took all of his savings out and just intends to spend, uh, probably spend it all before he dies. Yep,
0: he's living large because you can't take it with you. Yeah. He tries to order the stenographer a Louisiana flip, uh, but she immediately vetoes that and orders absinthe, which kringleine hears her order and is like oh you're one of those people as if ordering absinthe is supposed to mean something i don't this is a absinthe
1: is extremely strong like Uh, it will make your brain reverse on itself
0: (laughs) so not an appropriate uh, thing for a woman to be drinking i assume in in 1930s
1: uh, oh definitely not appropriate society standards even today like there i don't at least in France, or at least where I come from, there is not a whole lot of places that still serve absinthe because it is so strong.
0: Uh, the Baron arrives, apologizes for being late, and takes the stenographer out onto the dance floor. Uh, as they go, Kringlein wonders if he should learn to dance, and the doctor says yes, because a man with no woman is a dead man. Out on the dance floor, the stenographer asks the Baron what he's been doing all day, and he tells her he's been chasing money. Uh, you were very different yesterday," she says. "That was yesterday," says the Baron.
1: He says, "I've been chasing around,
0: chasing money around,
1: chasing money around." Yes. Oh, I only understood the chasing around.
0: Yeah, like most of the movies we've watched, the the audio quality leaves something to be desired. <laughs> Better than the last few, though, but still not perfect. And uh, she's right about him being different. It's very stark contrast between the scene where they uh, had that banter at the balcony because he's he's very obviously distracted and not
1: yeah. And that and the first thing that they have at the balcony, he's very playful. His his face is just very like open and welcoming, and he's got he's clearly attracted to her and wants to attract her attention. And then in this scene, he's polite, but not inviting. No,
0: he clearly has something on his mind. Yeah. He's distracted and she can tell. The dance ends and the Baron asks if the stenographer would like to make a man happy. I'd love to, she says with a smile. Dance with Kringleine, says the Baron. Her smile fades. This was... You can just see... A real good piece of acting because as soon as he says "dance with Kringleine because she she obviously thinks he's gonna like ask for a kiss or something, mm-hmm. and then he says "dance with Kringleline," and you just see it hit her, and just the smile instantly becomes fake, yeah, and then just slowly withers. Yeah, good bit of acting. You sympathize with her because you can see it. You can see the gut punch happen. You're not a bit like you were yesterday, uh, she says uh the baron then tells her that he fell in love last night the real thing it's wonderful and she responds with there is no such thing as yeah
1: there's no such thing <laughs> as the real thing
0: oof i i sense some uh some trauma in your past she's clearly disappointed uh but agrees to dance with kringleine as they walk back uh to the bar they're in- intercepted by Prising, who demands to talk to the stenographer uh she's with me as the- at the moment says the baron and they turn to leave insolence, Berlin Manners, says Bryson. (laughs) This is the beginning, Uh, this is the first time he says insolence, and he does it in almost every scene he's in from now on. Anytime someone does something he doesn't like, he just replies, insolence. (laughs) Because he, you know, he's a big, uh, he's like over six feet tall, right?
1: I would think so. He's a
0: very big imposing dude. He's just, uh, everyone is clearly beneath him. Yeah. So.
1: It feels like something that he would, uh, he would, be saying, like, walking through one of his factories or somewhere. Yes. Insolence.
0: Insolence. How dare you? I am the boss. I am important. God damn it. Kringleion then tries to introduce himself to Prizing, uh, but is brushed off. Like, Prizing shoes him, like, the same way uh, the Baron shoes people.
1: Yeah. You're you're a nobody. he
0: He won't even, like, turn his head to look at him. He's just beneath his notice. Yeah. The stenographer then offers to dance with Kringlein, who accepts, despite the fact that he's never danced in public before. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: as they head to the dance floor, Prising once again uh, inserts himself between them, telling the stenographer he has a dictation job for her uh, now, right now, damn it. Not gonna wait. He's he, he's trying to use the stenographer as a, as a conquest and just trying to push all the other men around her out of the way so he can do that. Uh, He says that Kringleine will uh, Kringleine will be a good friend and decline the dance. Uh, Kringleine, to his credit, stands up for himself uh, and asks if the world belongs to Prizing and doesn't Kringleine have the right to live? Ten minutes, says Prizing. Kringleine is just so ready (laughs) to just have a meltdown through this entire movie. Anytime he's around prizing, it's prizing that really triggers him. Yeah. When he's first at the uh, the front desk complaining about his room, it's because he doesn't have as good of a room as prizing.
1: And also on the on the phone, he says, you know, that he knows prizing is at the hotel, and then he's going to give him a piece of his mind at some point. Yeah,
0: it's prizing has become the symbol for all the unfairness and injustice in the world, yeah. and... Kringlein so clearly hates his guts and is just does not have the emotional energy to pretend that he doesn't anymore. <laughs> so oh,
1: well, he only has so long to live, so, you yeah. know, there's there's no time to waste.
0: Yeah, Kringlein is ready for this to come to, to blows, ready and willing. The Baron then tells Prizing to leave them alone and go away. They have a stare down, and the Baron does his little shooing motion.
2: Yeah.
0: Out on the dance floor, the stenographer notices that Kringleine is shaking, and he says it's because it's the first time in his life he's actually been happy. Poor Kringleine. Uh, their dance concludes, and they both go back to the bar where Prising is waiting. Prising tells Kringleine to go away again, and Kringleine responds that he's not taking orders from him right now. What is this insolence? Go away, says Prising. Mm. Kringleine chooses to give him peace of his mind instead, telling him that he might not uh, that he might think he's hot shit, but he is really an ordinary man, no difference from anyone else. Uh, their argument escalates until Kringleine uh, calls Prizing stupid. He does this after Prizing uh, accuses him of uh, misappropriating funds and embezzling. Yes. And he says he's embe- embezzling, and, and Kringleine gets this shocked ex- expression. Just he like gasps for a few seconds. He's so offended that he can't even speak. He's, mm. How 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 dare you? Because Krigaline is also very intoxicated at this point. so
1: God knows how many Louisiana flips he's had.
0: Yeah, how many flips he's been doing. <laughs> so, uh, Prizing said he's embezzling. Uh, he then calls Prizing stupid. And at that point, Prizing grabs him by the collar and starts to shake him. And then everybody in the bar, there's a crowd gathered at that point, And they all try and pull them apart. And uh, Prizing tells Kringlein he's fired. And Kringlein laughs in his face and tells him that he's dying and that no one can do anything to him anymore because before he can be discharged, he'll be dead.
1: (laughs) I I love this interaction, too. Like, I love the, you know, just like, uh, was it in not in a way it was an all quiet on the western front that uh you had some scenes where you you know you wanted people to be able to um uh, like stand up to the bullies yep that that was that scene to me i love seeing uh somebody who's been oppressed and uh, finally being able to stand up for themselves and tell the bullies that you know they can go to hell
0: yep it's a very cathartic moment because uh, Prizing is just such a arrogant piece of shit through this whole movie, and uh, Kringlein is such a stereotypical like put upon sad sack yeah. that yes, the the working man standing up for himself and just giving the boss a piece of his mind and being right, and the whole it's bleak and awake because he's dying. So yeah, but the whole. It, it verges on like a manic laughter where he's like, you can't dismiss me. I'll be dead before it even goes into effect.
1: Yeah, he, he's just, he's frantic in, he, that, in that scene.
0: Yeah, the the laugh of uh, the man who is damned and knows his fate. Prizing walks away uh, saying he's crazy. He has no response to the the fact that he's dying. His uh, strategy is just to dismiss it. Oh, he he's clearly lost his mind. And the Baron steps in to comfort Kringlein, uh, who orders another Louisiana flip. Fade out and back in, and we're listening to the head porter talk about pacing the halls of the hospital all night because his wife is still in labor. Like,
1: Okay, it's, oh. it's been like two days already.
0: Uh, hey man, I've heard horror stories about people being in labor for three, four days.
1: Well, yeah, um, you know, seeing this from a, a modern perspective... All I kept thinking about is, like, well, after 24 hours, you should really plan for a C-section.
0: Yep. Just chop it out. Cut to Prizing and the stenographer sitting in the hotel restaurant. Prizing is telling her that he has to go to England next. And would she like to be his secretary? He has to go to Manchester to actually make the deal Mm -hmm. uh, that he claimed happened actually happen. Uh, she accepts, and so will be referred to as the secretary from now on instead of the stenographer. She has a real name, but it's like f- Flimchin. Flimchin, yes, Flimchin. I find it easier to just say secretary, <laughs> so that's what she is. And uh, Prizing asks her what her price is for working, and she says a thousand dollars. And she also needs some outfits because he wants her to look nice, doesn't doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Do The Baron walks by their table, and the camera follows him as he walks outside the hotel to let the tough chauffeur know that he isn't getting the pearls, but will pay him some other way. Back inside, he passes by Madame and assures her he will totally, definitely, 100%, no joke, cross my heart, hope to die, swear to God, absolutely be on the train with her tomorrow morning. (laughs) Promise. Promise. Kringeline overheard the Baron talking to the chauffeur about money, and he asked the Baron uh, if the Baron needs some money from him. The Baron says he does, uh, and has the idea of rounding up some men to gamble in Kringeline's room because Kringeline offers him like three hundred marks, and I think the Baron needs does, yeah. needs around five thousand. So the Baron just declines and says, "No, we'll we'll mm-hmm. go find some people to gamble so I can make the amount I need." Mm-hmm. Cut to Kringeline's room uh, where they're playing baccarat with a group of high rollers. The Baron is having no luck, but Kringleine is on fire. Uh, As the evening winds down and the High Rollers begin to leave, a very drunk Kringleine begs them to stay a little longer and uh, launches into a speech about how wonderful life is if you have the courage to live it and how for the first time he's truly tasted it and yada yada and so on. Uh, The High Rollers give zero shits and leave. Kringleine. I realized rewatching that he is intoxicated in most of the scenes he's in and just uh, continually falling apart and losing his shit and clearly having a, a crisis, you know, an emotional crisis while everyone around him just kind of ignores him. Because, you know, he has the meltdown in the bar and now he has this positive meltdown here where he's like, well, life is so wonderful and I'm finally alive and I'm finally doing this. And he's winning like every hand of gambling he's playing and he's just living large and, and high off life. And
1: Yeah, but also isn't it sad? Cause he, yes, he's happy and he's living life in it and that's amazing, but... It's also sad from our point of view as audience member because you know that, you know he's going to to die soon and he only has. It's sad that he feels finally feels alive as he's about to die anytime soon.
0: Well, that's a common trope in movies. It's like yeah. he has the energy of well, we've all seen those movies where like somebody gets diagnosed with cancer and then they start. Fucking, you know, standing on tables and doing cartwheels in the street. I'm finally alive. That he is he is fully bought into that (laughs) that trope. And not only that, but he's also it's it's sad to me because he's like begging them to stay like just a few minutes longer and they they have no interest in him as a person. Like they're just there to gamble. So like, oh good show, good show, old man. Oh, there there's a good chap, and oh, you're so right about life being pleasant. Yeah. Bye. They just—they don't care at all.
1: Well, they don't have to. If he, that's another thing. Like he's—you get the idea that he's never had really a whole lot of money in his life. He's gotten all of his savings, you know, for the for the end of his life. But he was essentially, as much as we understand, he was a factory worker. So he was like
0: a bookkeeper. He was
1: a bookkeeper, yeah, like an
0: accountant but or something.
1: Probably didn't make a, a a lot of money. Probably didn't enjoy. You know, the the finer things in life until now. And these other people, they're big gamblers. They had—they seem like they have a lot of money and that they can do this anytime.
0: Yeah. Also get the sense that he hasn't had much uh, social interaction in his life either. He's very childish in his interactions. I the... mean,
1: who invites other people to look at their bath Yes. Like <laughs> when he
0: first meets the Baron, Baron it's a very innocent like... Will you be my friend? Yeah, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, can I talk to you anytime?
0: Yeah, can I? Can we? Can we hang out and be pals? The Baron helps Kringleline to his bed, and once he passes out, the Baron takes Kringleline's pocketbook uh, containing all the knight's winnings and uh, puts it in his own pocket. Uh, Kringleine wakes up and immediately notices his money is gone and starts losing his shit, crawling around on the floor looking for it and wailing about how unfair the world is and how everything is taken away, yada yada and so on. <laughs> he just starts wailing like, oh, you never get anything in life, and then when you do, it's immediately taken away. Woe is me. Lots of melodrama in this hotel. The Baron pretends to help him look, uh, takes the money out, of his pocket and places it on a table while his back is to Kringlein and uh, pretends to find it on the table. Oh, here's your money. Uh, He gives the money to Kringlein and then leaves because he's quickly running out of time to find some cash. He runs into the secretary in the hall and she tells him he's nice. She uses the same technique he did because the first exchange they have, uh, he walks away the first time Mm -hmm. and then he whistles to get her attention to look back at him. And during this exchange he walks away and she whistles to get his oh, yeah. attention to, to get him to come back so it's a little
1: mm, nice
0: reverse yeah nice reverse of that their first interaction and then he comes back after she whistles and that's all she says to him she just goes you're nice <laughs> okay <laughs> that all or oh, well, that's all uh, she then enters her room which is connected to Prising's room it's one of those Hotel rooms I don't like, where it just has a door that opens into somebody else's room. And Mm -hmm. you can see Prizing uh, asleep on his bed in in a robe. Down in the lobby, Madame is returning from a superb performance with a ton of congratulatory flowers. Just She has like a whole train of people following her, carrying all the, the floral arrangements she's gotten. Which... Her manager said her career was over because of the stunt she pulled before, but now she just inexplicably has more performances to put on. There's no, absolutely no consequences for uh, what she did, despite people explicitly telling her that there would be consequences. Whatever. Uh, Back in the secretary's room, uh, Prizing enters in a robe and starts trying to put the moves on her, and she pointedly reminds him he's a married man. And he goes like, oh, we, we should leave my wife out of this. Uh, this does very little to stop him, however, and he keeps saying uh, creep-ass things like, Are you going to be nice to me?
1: Yeah. Oh, I hate this it's,
0: oh, it's gross. I hate Cause this line. he He also, you know, he's pressing up against her and it's... It's so...
1: It's very, It's uh, giving, like, Jack Warner uh, vibe from um, from Broadway melodies. Yes, like, it's so... Don't I deserve this?
0: It's so mewling and whiny and pathetic. And, oh, aren't you going to be nice to... Li-? And yeah. by nice, he means, yeah, touches Wiener. And...
1: Remember all the nice things I've done for you?
0: <sighs> Here we go again. Uh, don't you like me even just a little bit? Ugh. Ugh. Uh, before he can go too far, though, he sees a shadow moving in his room and goes to investigate. Uh, the shadow turns out to be the Baron who lamely makes the excuse that he must have gotten lost. Uh, he tries to leave, but prizing blocks him and demands the Baron return his pocketbook. Which the Baron has stolen his pocketbook, Mm -hmm. just like he stole uh, Kringlein's pocketbook. Which uh, Prizing doesn't see him do this. He just accurately uh, assumes that that's why he's sneaking into his room. Uh, The Baron returns it and apologizes. Uh, I'm desperate, he says. It's a matter of life and death. Prizing berates him for a while and enjoys the fact that he has him on, you know, by the short hairs uh, and then goes to call the police. He just lords it over him for a few minutes. Oh, you're a filthy thief and how dare you do this? He starts raising his voice and Mm -hmm. the Baron is trying to, like, get him to lower his voice. He says, are you trying to wake up the whole whole hotel? hotel. And then Prizing, I do want to wake up the whole hotel. You know, he's just enjoying the fact that he... He has this guy that he's had beef with on the ropes, and can he has the moral high ground, and he's going to wring every bit of juice he can out of it. Uh, he then goes to call the police. Uh, he has the Baron's jacket in one hand and the phone in the other, and then suddenly starts beating the Baron with the phone. This is weird. Did you notice this when we were watching it? the the scene? Like glitches, it like skips
2: because
0: mm-hmm. he just he's holding him uh, by the lapel with one hand. Yeah and then it like it skips to where he's just he's just beating on him with the phone and going "thief, thief, how dare you strike me?" he says, but we don't see the baron hit him. So there was just some technical glitch here.
1: I wonder if yeah, I wonder if there might be, you know, scenes or that that were lost. Maybe like pieces of film that that were lost.
0: There's definitely something missing because we don't see the Baron just jumps from being held to being on the ground and being hit with a phone.
1: And it's not the first time during the movie that, that, that there are glitches like this. Like, there's some glitches all throughout the movie.
0: Yeah, there's little skips where people were just, like, stutter a little bit while they're walking. But this is certainly the most egregious and... It happens to happen at a very pivotal moment yeah. in the story. So. But
1: for all the other ones, all the other moments where there's a glitch, I felt like maybe it was just a, an editing error at the time, but this one feels like there's actually maybe a couple seconds that are lost.
0: Yeah, something went wrong here because we, we, he's yelling at the Baron for hitting him and we never see the Baron hit him. Yeah. Suddenly starts beating the Baron with the phone. Uh, the secretary comes in to see what all the commotion is. And sees the Baron dead on the floor uh, and runs screaming into the hallway. This this scene got me because it has a very surreal, like, nightmarish quality to it. When she comes in, you never see the Baron's body. Mm-hmm. You, just, the you camera, see the expression on her face. Yes, the, the camera's, like, pointing up from the floor. Yeah. And you see her come in and see the Baron's body and be in total shell shock about it. And then she tries to run out the front door.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's locked. The Baron also tried to get out of that, that door and yeah. it was locked. And so it just has this nightmare quality of because the room is also very dark. Mm-hmm. So I have definitely had uh, multiple nightmares before where I'm in some dark room and the door is locked and you can't get out. So it just it had that quality to it because yeah. she's she's trapped in a place she doesn't want to be and the door is locked. And there's almost just this moment of like she doesn't after the door is locked, even though there's another way out of the room, she's just lost for a second. And just overwhelmed and like, oh God, I can't get out of here. Yeah. Uh, she runs out and uh, screaming into the hallway and she goes to wake up Kringlein, uh, who goes into Prising's room to see the Baron. And when she runs out, there's uh, this new arrival of people coming into the hotel and they see her run out and then they see Prising come to the door to watch her run away. And they make some comment like, oh, look at this guy. No no wonder uh, she's running from him. <laughs> ha, ha ha And just goes back to that. Uh, yeah that thing about the hotel being a crossroads where there's new people coming in and they ha- they have no idea what the, the drama is. So it's, it's just entertainment to them.
1: Well, yeah, like I was saying uh, at the beginning, you see snippets, you see just bits and pieces of what people's lives are. So they just saw, you know, the aftermath of something, but they don't know what the, the whole situation is, Yeah, which is what, the only thing that you can see of people's lives in hotels, you only see what's... You can't see what's behind closed doors. You only see what happens outside of those doors.
0: Yep, they're completely removed from it, so it's just entertainment to them.
1: Yeah. All
0: right, she wakes up Kringleine, and Kringlein, uh goes into Prising's room. He looks so peaceful, says Kringleine. It can't be that hard to die. Uh, Kringleine takes this really well. I was expecting him to... Have a breakdown and start weeping because he really liked the Baron, but he seems like almost completely non-affected by that. He just immediately accepts it and it's almost like a shoulder shrug of like, oh well, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I would have expected him to be like, you know, my friend.
0: Yeah, my friend. What have you done to be more angry at prizing? But he's just, he very matter-of-factly... He admonishes Prizing. He's like, because Prizing tries to make the excuse like, oh, he was stealing my pocketbook, and that's why. And he, he just, was attacking me. He was, like, yeah. And uh, Kringlein just very, just like, very calmly tells him, well, like, well, ju- just because he was stealing, that's not an excuse to kill somebody. Like, there's no anger in his voice when he says mm-hmm. it. It's just like, well, it's like a. Come on man, you like that that's not the right appropriate response.
1: Prising also tries to turn the situation and frame uh yes. Kringleine for he, it. He
0: starts trying to say, "Well, oh, it was uh it was the secretary, Flunchin. She she was working with him and she was trying to distract me so he could yeah. be in here uh, while he steal." And Kringleine is having none of that. Prising is freaking out and scrambling to come up with a cover story and he asks Kringleine to lie to the police for him and go along mm. with the story. I Kringleine isn't going to pass up on an opportunity to screw over the man who's made him uh, miserable for so many years, though, and calls the police. Uh, yeah, Kringleine is having none of it. He's just you—you you killed somebody now. You have to face the consequences. And they struggle over the phone for a little bit. And I mm-hmm. almost wondered if Prising was going to start beating him too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wondered about that. If this
0: too. was going to turn into a double murder, but. After they, they briefly struggle over the phone for a little bit and then Prising just gives it up and yeah. Kringleine is able to call the police uh, pretty easily. We cut back to uh, madame who is singing and dancing in her room even though it's 3 a.m. Uh, she pauses and comments that the music in the hotel has stopped. She smells one of the floral arrangements and says that they remind her of funerals. Little on the nose... She places a call to the baron's room and gets increasingly annoyed that he doesn't answer. This is, yeah, it lingers on her for a while, just waiting for him to pick up. And she keeps uh, very dramatically being, being like, ring, ring, all you do is ring. Why won't you answer? Being, being her usual, usual uh, theatrical self. Down in the lobby uh, in the morning, uh, Prizing is taken out in handcuffs. Uh, and the Baron's wiener dog is given to hotel staff. And uh, the camera follows the dog as it's being, like, walked out of the hotel. And some absolute asshole who's sweeping the floor, like, pushes the dog with a broom. Yeah. Asshole. I didn't, I didn't like that. Yeah, don't don't screw with the dog. Why? Terrible. Terrible person. Uh, upstairs, Kringleine walks by Suzette uh the maid of madame who is telling the head maid of the hotel that madame must not find out about the baron going back to that how they always try and keep stuff from her because she can't handle it Kringleine enters the secretary's room and finds her staring out the window with a cigarette in her fingers she tells him that she loved the baron and Kringleine says that he loved him too she says she hated prizing and Kringleine says he hated prizing too He asks her why she had anything to do with prizing, and her reply is money. Which is the same reason that uh, Kringlein had anything to do with him. Kringlein says he knows all about that. He then proposes that he and the secretary use his winnings to travel around Europe until he dies, at which point she can have whatever is left. She agrees with the caveat that they find him a doctor so he doesn't die. Mm. There must be someone, she says. I never thought anything so beautiful could come to me, says Kringlein. Down in the lobby, Madame is in a panic about the Baron being on the train uh, with a flock of people around her promising he'll be there and trying to get her out of the hotel as quick as possible so she won't find out. Mm. She's like walking towards the door and fretting about whether he'll be there and she gets to the door and then she turns around and decides to ask the front desk mm-hmm. and the front desk uh, tells a little white lie and just says, the Baron is not here madame
1: yeah he's left already yeah he's left somebody tells her that he's left already which is
0: technically true because we have a scene a few minutes before that of his body being taken out yes which is another completely pointless scene because it's just his body being loaded into the back of a truck and then the camera zooms in on these two guys standing by the truck that we've never seen before Mm. and it feels like they're about to say something because it zooms in on them but then we just Mm. move to another scene i don't know what the point of that was other than to show that the baron's not there anymore Uh, They finally succeed in getting Madame out of the hotel, and as she gets into her car to drive away, she tells Suzette it will be sunny where they're going and that they'll have a guest. And that is the last we ever see of Madame. Back in the lobby, the head porter receives a call that his child has finally come. Uh, He says at this point he's been up for two days straight, so his wife has been in labor for two days. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, It's a boy, and both his wife and the baby are doing well. He also, this is the morning, so they're going through the morning routine, routine before he gets this call, and he mm-hmm. inspects all the Bellboy's gloves. He has yeah. them line up and just hold their hands out and, <laughs> so he can see the top, and then turn them over so he can see the bottom.
2: Yeah.
0: Kringlein and the secretary uh, check out of the hotel. Kringlein's got a fancy top hat and their luggage, uh, and head off to Paris. The final line of the film is delivered by the hunting specter of the hotel, the doctor, who repeats his line and says once again that in grand hotels, people come, people go, and nothing ever happens. The
1: end. Which, I mean, that line just about sums up the whole movie for me. <laughs> people come, people go, nothing happens, nothing ever happens.
0: It reminds me of a line in uh, an anime, uh, Fooly Cooly*. Mm -hmm. Because one of of the opening lines in the narration in that anime is about the main character lamenting that they live in a small town where nothing amazing Mm -hmm. happens. Yes. So it reminded me of that.
1: Oh, I had forgotten about this.
0: Yeah. So thumbs down for you, but...
1: Yeah, thumbs down. There are some, like I said, there are some redeeming scenes. There are some redeeming uh, redeeming, uh, qualities to it, but some funny moments uh, and all that and like very witty writing but to me it just there's not enough plot like I I tend to not really like movies where you just see little snippets of life
0: which yeah just like scenes in the life of
1: yeah I I like I just, I like stories that are uh, movies that actually have a storyline, that have a, a through line, that, where something happens, where there's a resolution, and this just wasn't it for me. I can a- acknowledge the, you know, the technical quality and the uh, development of, uh, of techniques and all that, and the the characters are really well not built they're
0: fleshed out uh,
1: yeah they're very they seem uh quite fleshed out compared to uh, compared to other movies that we watched so far yeah but it is that on as a whole like the there's no there's no real plot to me
0: it's not yeah it's not a plot with a resolution it's just you get you get to observe a, a brief window in all these people's lives yeah and you get the feeling that they had a whole life before this movie happened, and there will be a whole life after the movie happens. But yeah. you don't get you just get this little, this little slice of slice of their lives, mm-hmm. and, yeah, yeah. There's no overarching plot. There is kind of a theme, or several themes with money, because that's yeah that's the problem the Baron has, is that all his problems stem from money. All Kringlein's problems. Uh, solve for money because he has to that's the reason he has to interact with prizing yeah. and the the secretary as well
1: so- yeah that's what i i wrote in uh, in my notes for this movie is the money is definitely a, a for him but also the the idea of survival because that's even kringlein he's he knows that he's sick he knows that he's he only has so much time to to live and to at the end of the movie when it looks like when uh, uh mentions oh we could find someone we could find a doctor let's uh, let's do it like you get the this idea of people trying to survive in any in any way that they can
2: yeah
0: it, yeah no plot but intentional themes the money also uh, loneliness yes because all the characters are they're all lonely in different ways yeah being uh absorbed in your own problems money. Like being forced into doing things that you don't want to do because mm-hmm. no one in this movie is in a position that they want to be in and they're all
1: and there and some of them like the, uh, like the dancer has she has like I was saying earlier so many people around her dictating yes what her days should be like where, where she has to be how she has to behave
0: they're all trapped yeah they're all trapped in different ways and I appreciate because there was It may not have a plot, but that feels much more intentional than in other movies like Cimarron or the Broadway Melody where this is a stylistic choice. Mm. Whereas those movies were just, they didn't know what they were doing. And that's what the problem was. Here, there is style, there's intention. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not a, a style or an intention you agree with, but... At least it's what they meant to do.
1: Yeah, no, I can recognize, I can recognize that. Yeah. I can I can acknowledge that. Yeah, even the also the stenographer too, like it feels like she's in the first scene on the balcony with the with the Baron when he asks her what she does and she says that she's a stenographer and you know, she only makes pennies. Um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's a career that she chose no and it feels very much like something that she had to do to survive
0: yeah she also mentions when prizing is floating on that she was like an art model yeah to get money as well
1: yeah
0: yeah it feels that there was a lot more thought put into the crafting of this movie at least the the characters Mm -hmm. than any of the others we've watched so far this I feel like this is the first movie that had a very definitive style to it yeah and i appreciated that it it was Mm -hmm. enough to win me over the hotel itself almost feels like a character because there is no main character right it's just all these people passing through this crossroads Mm -hmm. and the the movie's obviously aware of that because it has the doctor comment on that at every possible opportunity and I like that. I like that they were just telling a story about a crossroads, not about any one particular person passing through it.
1: Yeah, and that the you know we never get any scenes, anything outside of the of the hotel, which we can very well could have. Like we could follow the dancer when she goes to the theater to see what it it's actually like, but we never do.
0: No, the the story happens in the hotel, and if it's not happening in the hotel, it's not happening. Yeah, right. It's great. And it's it's consistent in its messaging too. Like you have the, the doctor talking about lamenting that it's a crossroads and how uh, people vanish so quickly and no one really cares about each other and put into practice by the scene when the stenographer is running, screaming out of Pricing's room and those people pass by and they're, mm-hmm. they're the newcomers to the hotel, so they don't care. They're just, there's just this overarching theme of like casual indifference that everyone has towards each other, like yeah. the people just completely ignoring uh, Kringleine as he gets further and further into his meltdown.
1: But see, like to me, that's something also that is, at least to me as an audience member, that's something that's passed on to me uh, as well. Like, I would want to know more about some of these characters, uh, about their life outside of the, of the hotel or stuff that happened before or after they were at the hotel, but there's not enough. There, I would want to know more, and at, at the same time, there's not enough for me to actually care about what's going to happen to them afterwards.
0: It, it all has a very bittersweet, like, oh we're all just ships passing in the night feel to it. Yeah. it it's, it's enough for me. I don't... I did not like the romance between the Baron and and the Madame, though. I felt that was very unearned. I can see how they uh, recognized the sorrow in each other, but they just didn't... They did not have anywhere near the chemistry with each other that the Baron had with the stenographer.
1: absolutely not. Absolutely not. I thought... Like I said, I think, you know, he goes to her because she has she's the one with money. Yeah. It's very clear that he's in his interaction with the stenographer uh, when she tells him that she's a stenographer. He, it's very clear that he's disappointed. You get the to uh, you get a, a look on his face of like, oh, so you have no money. Yeah,
0: I th- he did genuinely like her though.
1: I think so. And I, I think he enjoyed interacting with her. I
0: don't think he was going after the madame because of money because she offered him money and he declined. Yeah so he genuinely liked the madame it's just they had no chemistry together yep. i would have much preferred that he build a romance with the, the secretary mm. but unfortunately there's that unfortunate pivot also with the secretary and kringleine going off together in the end like that's not gonna last like that that did not feel like a good decision to me
1: well she's also after money
0: you... I, she genuinely cares about him i think it's just that they've bonded because they both went through this really traumatic event together they yeah
1: but that's not that's never really addressed or any they don't never really talk about it. apart from saying yeah i i love the bear i know i love him too yeah i think she one thing that's uh consistent with her throughout the movie is that she is she needs money. She is after after money, and she's going to get it from whoever's going to offer it.
0: So she, you think she was just being opportunistic? I think so. Whatever the reason, it's, it's like oh, they're they're going to go off and travel for a little bit, and then they're going to realize that the only thing they had in common was this tragedy, and that's not enough. It's not enough to hold them together. I yeah. It feels like they're heading for disaster. Like everyone's heading for disaster. Prizing leaves to go to jail. Uh, the madame leaves and is going to find out that her lover is dead. And she was already uh, in a fragile state before that, so that ugh, that's going to push her over the edge. And then Kringleine and uh, the secretary leave on the... They have the ending that's framed as being happy, but mm-hmm. if you think about it and how that's going to turn out later on, like, she's not actually attracted to Kringlein in any way. No,
1: but if anything, she's probably the only one who's going to actually make it and survive, because, you know, he's sick. Yeah, they're they're going to try and find a doctor, but odds are he's just going to die and leave her the money.
0: Yeah. It was wishful thinking on her part. And the Baron's mm-hmm. dead, which Emperor that was, he didn't beat him with the phone that hard, so when they he they were saying he's dead, I was like, oh, he's dead. Oh, oh, okay. That it was very unceremonious, and yeah. and also the the Baron, his plan was just to go in to Prizing's room while Prizing was still there. It seemed really out of character for well, the like Baron.
1: he says he's desperate
0: yeah but he's also shown as to be witty and competent and charming for the rest of the movie right. and that was uh, that was just a, a a blockhead move that was really dumb i don't even know how he got in because the door was locked yeah we don't know the door was locked and the only other entrance is he would have had to have gone past prizing so i don't
1: or maybe he was already there before they came in the room. That but prize, we don't really know. pricing
0: comes out of that room. It just it felt like it came out of nowhere, and it was such a hairbrained, dumb thing for the Baron to do. Or
1: he came again from the balcony. Possibly. He's done it before. Yeah. That it, all we can do is speculate.
0: Yeah, it felt like oh well, we need to have a tragic ending, so let's have our character do something really stupid so it can end tragically. No and also he had so many opportunities to get money from other people that it, it just i know that they intend for that to uh compound the tragedy but that's one of the things that really bothers me in movie when people uh have clear exits to their problem mm-hmm. but then intentionally turn away from them uh solely for the fact so it can develop into a full-blown tragedy later i that always bothers me because like Kringlein offers him money, the Madame offers him money, he had so many opportunities, but every time it's, no, I I can't, I can't, oh, I can't, why, why can't you?
1: I I don't know, I understand that as uh, also a a movie trope where we understand, we know that he's uh, a hotel thief and uh, we're not supposed to be sympathizing with him, but at the same time, him turning down those opportunities from people giving him money... Uh, to me, are uh, a sign of his good faith and that he's a good per. He's meant to be a good person. He's a till. thief
0: with a heart of gold. Yeah. And it gets him killed. It does. In a very unceremonious and dumb way. And, uh, another pattern uh, if you want to win Beck's picture, you need A, a scene with a, a lot of people in it, mm-hmm. and B, it needs to end in a tragedy. Yes. We do not like happy endings here. And yeah, it didn't feel like they earned that tragedy. It just felt very
1: and rushed. Yes,
0: very rushed is a good word. Just like, oh, the the Baron. This is the Baron's plan, and oh, oh the Baron's dead. Oh, oh, okay. And then Prizing just gets arrested, and it and it ends. It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. The ending is a is a flop, but the the rest of the the writing and characters are strong enough for me to to overlook it.
1: I also felt, you know, like I said earlier, I felt bad for the for the dancer just the second time that, yeah. that they're lying to her. She's going to realize she's going to make it to that train, realize that uh he is not on it. Yeah. And then who's gonna have the guts to tell her that it's not that he abandoned her. He died.
0: Yeah, they are uh, leaving him in the dark, not for her sake, but for their own sakes. Because they don't want to deal with the fallout. Yeah, they're
1: going to have to deal with it at some point They're just anyway. making it
0: worse. The longer they wait, the worse it's going to be. And, yeah. But we never get to see it.
1: It feels horrible.
0: Yeah, it does not, does not feel good. So for me, we've been in a, a pattern
1: yes.
0: where we've gone good movie, bad movie, good movie, bad movie,
1: <laughs> good movie. so the
0: next one we watch <laughs> is going to be a bad one uh,
1: if, for you <laughs> for me if the pattern if the pattern
0: uh, holds up
1: yeah so what's your ranking
0: my ranking uh this is the best movie we've watched so far. this is number one for me okay i it has more complex characters and more stylistic writing than wings does mm-hmm. And... S- that is, that is enough for me. That's what I, that's what I value. And yeah, the the intention, intentionality of it. I am willing to go along with non-standard narrative structures and weird things if there's intentionality behind it. If your movie is weird because you don't know what you're doing, I'm not gonna probably enjoy it very much, but with this one where they, there, you could tell that there was a lot of thought put into Uh, The personalities and mannerisms of the characters and uh, the hotel being the setting and the philosophy of it being a crossroads. And this movie had, it might not have had anything to say, but it had things that were on its mind.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I I can definitely acknowledge that.
0: And I liked it. I liked it a lot.
1: So to you it goes, if we recap Grand Hotel wings
0: wings finally (gasps) finally yeah knocked out of its number one position so number one grand hotel number two wings number three all quiet on the western front uh number 90 broadway melody and 91 uh cimarron
1: okay and then for me it goes still goes number one wings number two all quiet on the western front number three Broadway Melody, number four Cimarron, and then number five No
0: way. You put this below Cimarron?
1: Yes. What? Yeah. You're
0: crazy. I. Audience, I need a new host. This person is crazy.
1: (laughs) For as many, you know. Cimarron
0: is actively racist.
1: I know. I know.
0: And it also doesn't have a plot. Also cuckoo doesn't. cuckoo bananas.
1: Also, yeah, Cimarron is racist, also doesn't have a plot, but somehow I still felt like, at least for the first half of oh, the movie, no. I still felt like it had more oh, of a story No.
2: Than
0: this.
1: <laughs> I might change my mind at some point, but for right now, that's how I feel. This
0: is a crime. <laughs> I'm going to have to call the police.
1: <laughs> On what grounds? Craziness?
0: Yes. Oh Jesus.
1: At least on, on the first half of the movie, Cimarron has seems to have a story. Seems to have
0: Yeah, but the main character is a misogynist, racist, crazy person.
1: I know. I know. Wow. I might reevaluate my choice wow. in the way.
0: Crazy. I I'm speechless. <gasps> this is why we have separate lists. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Below Cimarron. Wow.
1: I'm sure we'll keep talking about this, and I'm sure I'll change my mind. for (laughs) right now, that's how I feel.
0: Beginning of next episode is a revision of the list.
1: (laughs) Yeah, beginning of uh, next uh, episode. Maybe sorry, sorry, I apologize. You'll
0: have your come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Uh, What's our next movie?
1: Our next movie is called Cavalcade.
0: Cavalcade. Is it Broadway or Western? Sounds like it'd be one of those two.
1: It doesn't really say. I was trying to, you know, not wanting to know anything about the movie before we watch it. But and all the least bit of information that I could see was uh, a movie about uh, English life in the late eighteen hundreds. So.
0: So some downtown Abbey high society.
1: Uh, maybe the hem of her has... dress
0: is true, low. God, I hope not. Please, no petty domestic drama. Her dress has mud on it. (laughs) And I die a little inside. (laughs) Good movie, bad movie, good movie, bad movie, right?
1: That's your pattern so far.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Anything else?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: All righty. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening.
2: Okay, that's it, that's it, that's it.